Only posers die, you fucking idiot! the video of a guy playing the Maxwell murder song all the way through with one hand because he literally only had one hand. God, that's got to be such a slap in the face to you. It, yes, it was. It, he played it better than I can play it. And what was wild to watch was he only had a left hand. So just so, for perspective, he only had a left hand. So he didn't even play. He didn't even have enough of a hand to strum the so strings. He fretted the notes? He fretted the entire thing. So he was just, he's basically doing the whole thing with hammer-ons and pull-offs? Yes. Wow. And the parts that were like, uh, like the, you know, because it's got the, the parts that play like the one note multiple times, he was just going with like two fingers on that, hammering on multiple times. Two fingers on one fret? Yeah. He would just go, well, because he only had one hand, so he couldn't strum it. Oh, my God. Dude, there are some there are some insane there are some people out there who have so much talent that it does frighten me. Uh, was, speaking of yeah. bassists, there's a couple of bassists. I don't know how it happened, but you know, you go down the YouTube black hole, and and they're just like these bassists like challenge each other's to slap offs, and it's insane. I watched this dude play. I mean, he he's he does everything. It's I forget what his name is, but he takes songs. And he he basically levels up as he goes. He'll be like, this is, uh, you know, uh, give it away on level one. And then he goes all the way to level 10 where he's he's just basically using both hands to play the song. And it, it just uh-huh. blows my mind. And it's also like it's impressive and I wish I could do it. But it's also frightening and I'm not sure we need it. <laughs> yeah, I've watched a couple where it just is like. You watch somebody do this thing and you're like, I can do that. I can't do that. No, I don't. And then you go, I'm never going to do that. And I just, <laughs> yeah. it, that happens a lot when, when I watch like bass videos where I'm like, oh, this, this guy's going to play this thing. And it's really cool to watch. I mean, I just was like, I saw this video and I was like, I'm going to check this out and see what, like how he does it. And he did it and it was perfect. And I was just like, that's not even fair because I've been watching, uh, for, for, a little bit Matt Freeman's been doing and um, Scott Shiflett do they'll, they'll just on Instagram, they'll just record them playing a song. And, and Matt Freeman right now is just doing a ton of playing rancid songs and playing op Ivy songs and just saying like, Hey, here's the song. Here's how I play it. Oh my God. And he's so good. And you're like, it's cool to watch him. Cause he's just like, it's whatever, you know, cause he's so chill about it. But Scott Shiflett is funny too. Cause like every now and again, he'll, um, he'll play something, but he'll get like a really shitty guitar out. Like he'll get a flying V and he's like, Oh yeah, by the way, this is crazy train. And he plays something, but he's wearing like big glasses and he's wearing a wig while he does it. Uh, Scott Shiflett being the bass player from face to face. For those of you listeners who don't know. Yeah. Uh, underrated, which I think we've spoken of before, sorely underrated, but a seriously, uh, like a, a huge contender in the world of punk rock, like Fat Mike, Matt Freeman, uh, Scott, Scott Shiflett, Shiflett, for sure, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would even put Scott Shiflett over uh, Fat Mike. Um, and well, no, I definitely Matt would Freeman. too. But Fat Mike is, I think Fat Mike is also underappreciated because if you listen carefully, not only is he singing, but he's he's ripping some shit. No, I mean, he's he, great. He's, he's pulling it off. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. But it was, but like, the, like going back to the idea of like. 
just watching these unreal bass players, it's like they definitely, or just musicians in general, they definitely sold their, like, part of them to some nether realm to be able to do this thing. Like, they are not, they, they split their soul in half and sold that to some dark force to be able to do the things they do because it doesn't make any sense on a human level. Yeah, it's unreal, man. The the I don't know, but I I do feel like I don't know what it is. Maybe the generation that came after us, they maybe all the medi- all the medication we were given as kids had some weird after effect that made so many of them savants cuz <laughs> like I take it back to skateboarding. Like I've said it before, I started skating before Tony Hawk came out, you know, the game. And and I noticed a definite improvement in everyone who started after that game came out because they had no fear they're like yeah yeah no you're totally supposed to front side flip a 16 stair like second try it's totally what you're supposed to do you know yeah. and now that i'm i got my i got my board back and i've been i've been skating this really smooth straight away in my neighborhood <laughs> and I, <laughs> I i landed some kick flips again i felt good about it i landed some front side 180s again but then I'll, I'll watch YouTube videos now because I, I didn't have YouTube when I was skateboarding and I'll watch people and it just it's inspiring. But it also just bums me out because I'll never I'll never be what I used to be, which wasn't even half as good as as many of these people. Music, too. Same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a guy on Instagram I follow now. It's a skateboarder, but he like builds these weird contraptions out of his skateboard. So when he does a kickflip, it flips itself. Um, Jesus, it's really bizarre. Like it, it'll be like he'll do a kickflip, but only half of his board will flip because it's on like an axle. So, uh, so like the board will like split in half and twist on its own, and he, it just it doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't understand. I don't. I, don't under, I never it. could understand skateboarding anyway. I could never even stand on anything that rolls. So, you know, I was always that observer that was like, "That looks cool. Go team!" Yeah, you didn't stand on the barrels. You just threw them. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> As uh, the 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 Donkey Kong caricature that I am. Well, hi everybody. Welcome to I don't want to hear it. I'm Mikey and I'm Shane. And this week we are doing an episode on Desert Island Discs. Shane, would you care to explain what that means? <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, you always any so anybody who loves music or I mean this this kind of always comes up in any sort of hypothetical and it's always the worst hypothetical cuz it's like I don't give a shit about this thing if I'm on a desert island. Like, I'm trying to survive. Right. But but that's always the question. Like, it's always a funny one where it's like, if you were on an island and you could have, like, five movies, what would those movies be? And three of them are The Matrix. But when you... when you Five when copies people, of Scarface. Five copies of Scarface. And, um, and so I love the discussion about music because I think that people who really love music, this is an impossible question. And so when we yeah. started talking about this... I love the idea of impossible questions and trying to justify your decision in a, in a highly irrational situation <laughs> and try to be like, yeah, you can, this is a thing that I would need on an, a desert island when I'm probably going to starve to death and nobody will ever find my bones. Yeah, this whole episode is basically dumb answers to an, an impossible question, but we thought we'd <laughs> tackle it anyway. Now, and I think we, it's going to be fun. Yeah, and when we say desert island discs, are these the only – I mean – there are so many other albums in contention, so we're going to do more of these because my, my actual list of Desert Island Discs has to be at least 100 records long. But these oh, three easily. really stand out to me. That's why I picked them. 
I actually changed one of mine today, so that speaks to the volume of <laughs> like how how yeah. that can ebb and flow depending on like where you're at and what moment. But um, I think my three are good, and I think they're pretty they're pretty representative of who I am in general. So I think you might be surprised by mine. I don't think you're gonna be surprised by mine at all. Nope, it's gonna be Biohazard. It's no. gonna be King of Queens soundtrack. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything. Never mind. Forget no. forget I said anything. That's a show, okay, starring Jerry Stiller, a fat man, and a Scientologist, and Patton Oswalt. Former Scientologist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, before we get into what we would take with us to the desert island, let's do a right profile. Yes! Say, where did I see this guy? Shoot his right profile. Japanese hardcore is something I don't, I admit that I don't know too much about. And I'm not talking about the sand Yakuza Ma shit we talked about before. I'm talking about the the classic Japanese hardcore that that is so influential, like Gizm or Jism. I, I ne- I've never known how to pronounce it. I always thought Gizm sounded better, even though it's probably Jism. It's probably uh, Jism. Yeah. Gauze, Deathside, those bands. Like, brutal, fast shit that I guess is, like, super influenced by Discharge, which is another band that, like, I like, but, you know, I didn't grow up with, so I don't fucking freak out over them. The band I chose this week is heavily influenced by the Japanese hardcore, and that band is called Devil's Den. Devil's Den. Uh, awesome name. I heard today somebody describe uh, Hot Sauce as um, the Devil's Semen, so uh, <laughs> we're running a theme here. Now, Devil's Den is definitely influenced by some of the bands I just said. And I know, you know, because I don't know that much about Japanese hardcore. I know some people are like, Deathside is nothing like fucking gauze. Like, I don't give a fuck. Shut up. I'm talking about just the, the influence of their, their ferocity, you know. The, and, and there's something about Japanese hardcore and bands that are influenced by it. And I'm talking many of, like, the Holy Terror bands, Integrity, those types of bands. They just... There's something filthy about the sound too. I would say Candy, who we've talked about before, has a has a bit of that influence as well. It's yeah. just brutal and dark and filthy, and the vocals have this like loud, huge, roaring quality to them that I really love. So anyway, Devil's Den, they're a hardcore band, a hardcore punk band from Kansas City. They've been around since 2017. They put out a few things. The including their 2018 EP, which is called First Nature Brutalism. But awesome. Their newest uh, release is the one that I was listening to, and it's a 12-song full length called Barbed New Religion, and it came out on Atomic Action, which is a label out of Providence that I don't know about. But I'll link okay. all that shit in the show notes. Those old bands would be a good touchstone, even Integrity. They're a little more punk than Integrity. Candy... Uh, maybe a band like Withdrawal, if anyone's familiar with them. Um, Devil's Den is is definitely on the punk side of hardcore punk, but it is just horrendous sounding, reverby, brutally filthy, barking insanity, and just fast and just hugely violent sounding. So I, I was, am here for it. Yeah, I'm completely for it. Um, Japanese hardcore and the whole burning spirit era is something that we are going to do a deep dive on one day. Um, cause I would like to know more about it. Um, so yeah, devil's den from Kansas city. They're on Spotify. 
and they're at atomicactionrecords.bandcamp.com. The new record's called Barbed New Religion. I'm going to link it. So, Devil's Den, check them out. I like it. I'm, I'm into it. I'll definitely check them out because I like stuff like that. Like that filthy, like, it feels like you found a tape in the woods. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like it's uh it's like the woods porn of hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into Dude, it. Such I'm... a woods porn is such a a niche thing. Like <laughs> 80s 90s kids know what that is, and then nobody else got to experience that. There's I was gonna say like it's it's weird raising a child who will not know what woods porn is. Oh, yeah. When and and when you think about it. How, you know how so gross how gross is woods porn <laughs> so gross it's such a weird thing but anyway woods porn was a thing so yeah it's a great woods way to describe hardcore. it though that's great it's perfect it's it's uncomfortable you find it it's filthy you love it anyway <laughs> yeah. so the band that i picked this week is a band um out of where are they from madrid spain they started in 2015. They are called. <laughs> there's so many bulls on their records. They um. So this band is called Boneflower, which is awesome. Name. Yeah, dig, a super cool name. Uh, they're a three piece, and they are. They have this really big sound. Like um, they remind me a lot of kind of what we were playing when we were in Portals, where it was like really loud, really like a lot of delay pedals and stuff like that, and kind of heavy like that, but still like a really good dose of melody to it. Um, I really, really dig their their latest EP, their second LP, uh, or their latest LP, I should say, uh, which is their second LP called Armor. Now, uh, it was put out, they're, they're getting ready to, or no, it was put out on Dog Knight's production. I've uh, not heard of this, but they do kind of have that really intense DIY type of approach to stuff where it's like everything is small. Uh, they are touring. They are uh, touring like crazy all over Europe, all over Spain. Not right now, obviously, but um, right. but they do have this really cool sound. They have a the songs are short and consumable. Like it's not like um, that big sludgy ISIS sound, which is like here's a 15 minute long song of Aaron Turner screaming over a really great guitar riff, which is still awesome. Not the same thing. So this is more like um, the the band that we had not too long ago, that band Frail Body. I think that's what it was, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so it sounds like, familiar. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like that. So It, it well, wasn't it was, the it's books. It's basically like – it wasn't the books. No, no, no. Um, and so it was – it, this, so this band kind of has that like screamo feel where it's got that mel- melody. It's got some intense parts. The songs are not any longer than four minutes. So it's it's something that you can kind of digest. And the way that um, their newest record, Armor, kind of plays, it plays like a really great – it just flows. You know, there's some records that kind of – they had those like weird stop gaps where you listen to it and you're like, ah, it's a weird – that's a weird thing in the middle of the album. It doesn't really fit there. And this one just feels like a really good record from front to back. It just plays. You can just listen to it and just kind of uh, just enjoy it. So, um, uh, like I said, it's, it, there's, there are three-piece. Uh, their newest record is Armor. Uh, the best song on it is the opener called Salt Peter, uh, which is one word. And um, But the rest of the record is great, so I recommend checking them out. You can find them on uh, Bandcamp at boneflower.bandcamp.com, and they are on Spotify. Um, so yeah, listen to them. I like them a lot. Bone flower, bone flower. I almost Skull went with a band. Plant. You know, um, the the guys from Breathe the Resist were in a band I think called Skull Flower that never recorded, and that was one too. I was like, oh okay, that's cool. Um, I almost went with a band this week called Rat Boys. 
Not what not what you think it sounds like. Rad boys. I still have ass life on my list to make sure to see like if I'm gonna get there. <laughs> That's that is just as good, if not just as good a name, if not better than that band that we played with many a time, Trash Bag. <laughs> Dude, were so they, good. I I laughed when I looked at the flyer. I laughed when I got to the venue and, and and the guy said, "Oh yeah, you guys are on after Trash Bag." I laughed when we talked to them. Not mean. I told him I was like, "You have the best band name of all time." <laughs> when I said Dude, like, that- "Yo, yo, give it up for Trash Bag. They played first. and I started laughing. <laughs> it is it is one of those great things. Like there are just every now and again you get a band that's got a really great name like that, and you just can't help but laugh because it's so absurd. It seems like two syllables is the way to go, like moose jaw. Mm-hmm. That was a good one, too. That was a really good one. Um, but, yeah, bone, bone flower, trash bag. Um, oh, God, crunch time. Even crunch time crunch was fun. T- ass life. <laughs> ass life. Well, all right. Uh, you want to go get uh, stranded on this desert island? Let's go fucking get on Let's go get some coconuts. <laughs> In my spare time, when I am not hunting for food, building shelters, or waving down passing ships that will never see me, I'm going to listen to these three records while I'm on this li- island. You're going to plug first it record, right into a palm tree. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to and just and just scream at the clouds. I'm going to scream at all the fish that are floating by that I can't catch or eat. Speaking of being on a desert island, has you have you ever thought about that first person that ever ate a lobster? Oh, yeah, because it, it, it is a strange thing when it's not presented to you in a fancy way. So it's well, just a big sea roach. It's a big sea roach, but also, if you don't prepare it a certain way, it's toxic. Yeah, so the first, you know, 100 people that ate a lobster probably died from it. And so who knows why they continued to do it, but then, you know, somebody yeah. added butter to it, and it was just like, oh, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, butter on a roach meat from the sea. Yeah, put it on a roll. <laughs> so... One thing that I try to do when I was talking about these records is kind of talk about like why I think it's important, provide some facts around the record, and just talk about why this record was so meaningful to me in general. So the first one I'm going to start with, and this is going to be my number one. I'm going to go one through three uh, instead of three through one. I'm going to start with number one. My number one is Green Day Dookie, yeah. and I struggled with this one. So here's why I struggled with this, with this one, because it's not my favorite Green Day record. Insomniac Ooh. is my favorite Green Day record. It is a good one. It is a good one. But Insomniac is fantastic. I think Insomniac is a better record in general. I think it's better written. I think that um, I liked so- the song Westbound Sign and like Stuart and oh. the Avenue. Like those songs are so good. But oh, yeah. here's the thing with Green Day's Dookie. I got this, and I've talked about this before. I got this tape when I was eight years old. <laughs> and it led to so many different things. Now, I found it, and I, I really started liking the band because of the song Longview. Longview came on the radio, and it came on MTV, and the video was really weird and kind of strange, and it's the first time I ever remember really seeing punks, um, like kind of thinking about that, where it's like, oh, he's got green hair. Oh, what's Green Day mean? Finding out that it's all about weed. <laughs> but um, found that out later, too. But, the yeah, I found it from uh, Longview, and, and really Green Day is the, like, this this album, Dookie, is the hit 
record for theirs. Like, this was the thing that put them on the map. Even though Kerplunk and um, Smooth Down Happy Hours and all that, or whatever that whole thing is called, um, those those albums are good albums, but this is the thing that put them on the map and really kind of helped uh, bolster the punk movement in the early 90s, which was kind of cool. Yeah, it probably would look completely different without Green Day. Yeah, I would imagine like without Green Day, without Rancid, without No Doubt, and the Mighty Mighty Boston's, and all those bands kind of like blossoming up at that time. But yeah, with Green Day showing up and and doing what they did, I mean, think about this: like Green Day's Dookie came out in '94. Ooh. Okay. So '94, like it was recorded '93, '94. Uh, they played Woodstock '94, like yeah, which I'm going to talk about. Um, so when I start thinking about this record, a couple things. I want to provide some facts for everybody. Okay, first, the the album was originally titled Liquid Dookie. <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. Dookie's Here's why they called enough, it Dookie. But... Yeah, Dookie was bad enough. The artwork is awesome. The artwork references oh. um, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Sesame Street and all this really weird th- stuff. If you see, I had the, the artwork, poster like, on my door when I was a kid. I had the poster. It's Love so it. cool, and so. Um, so the reason it was called Dookie was because they were referencing their poor touring diets. If you've ever been on in a band on tour, you know that your diet sucks while you're on tour. Um, and so they had actually used it in reference to, because Dookie is another term, I guess, for a nuclear bomb. Um, and they were like, oh, well, so are our shits because of on tour, because we're on tour. <laughs> uh, it took three weeks to record this record, which I think is interesting given that it is a straight up punk record uh, but it took three full weeks to record it and um, and those are the and, and, and those are kind of the only two facts I have about the record now this album and the song when I can't when I come around that song specifically is the reason that I picked up a guitar it's the reason I wanted to play music it's the reason that I started learning any instruments and the reason that I even wanted to listen to music as much as I did was because of that song that song made me want to be a musician mm-hmm and um, and just just I don't know, man. This this record was just really important for me at that time. Now, uh, I would say standout songs on this album. I have a favorite. I have a couple favorites. I would say all of them, but I think Burnout is really it kicks off this record really cool. One thing yeah. I noticed is a lot of their records start off with Trey Cool starting with his drums. Yeah, doesn't doesn't Insomniac start off? It's like a snare hit. Um. Uh, well, so it's um. No, it's a it's a oh yeah 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 so um, such a great even like uh, it really is it's fucking awesome um, the song all by myself was written <laughs> and performed by Trey Cool <laughs> yeah so uh, the story behind that is apparently they were at a party and they just grabbed the tape and recorded it at the party so they didn't even record it in the studio with the album so that was kind of funny. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting, the song Basket Case. Because you remember the video for Basket Case and how wild that was? I absolutely remember it. was one of the first videos I saw on MTV, and it was the first like true punk song that I ever became obsessed with. That chord progression, I was just like, that yeah. is the coolest fucking thing I have ever heard <laughs> or will ever hear. Yeah, yeah, which is accurate. So now – Cool things about this video. Uh, if you're not familiar with the video, it's filmed like they're kind of like mental patients in this mental ward, and there's like this all this weird kind of like kooky stuff happening, like really trippy stuff. It was filmed in the Agnews Development Developmental Center, which is an abandoned mental institution in California. So it, it it was filmed at an actual mental institute, 
It was filmed oh, really? in black. Yeah, and it was filmed in black and white, and then colorized later. Um, so it does kind of look like weird and washed out. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the cool things about that video that I thought was interesting. Now, uh, another kind of the last thing that I'll mention about this record is that um, they played Woodstock '94. And if you're not familiar with Woodstock '94, this also had headliners Aerosmith and Metallica. Okay. Uh, yeah. Woodstock '94 was fucking awesome. It also had Nine Inch Nails. It had a bunch of really great bands on it. But they, it, what's what what, what this was um, really known for in their performance was their mud fight. You know, yeah. Nine Inch Nails was in the mud pits, which is disgusting. And then they got up on stage and played, which was disgusting. But Green Day specifically got into a fight with the crowd. They stopped playing what they were. They stopped playing their set and were throwing mud back and forth with the crowd when kind of the mud pits started. Um, and I remember watching that and being like, "That looks like it's so much fun." <laughs> These guys are not playing their instruments. They're just throwing mud at people. And um, I don't know. They just they are just burned in my head. And Green Day Dookie was like the start of that. So that's that's why I put that as my number one for my Desert Island Discs. It could very easily have made my list. It's one of my favorites. That three-album run of Dookie, Insomniac, and Nimrod I yes. think is so perfect. There's not a bad song. I mean, just some of the only – the only thing is like some of them were overplayed like Brain Stew – but there is not a bad song on those three albums. It's incredible. And yeah, if, if, I, if all you I, know is fucking eyeliner green day, uh, they, they, they were a so much sad for different you. band. Well, you know, I, um, when we, when we saw them, they played, they played in St. Petersburg and I got to actually see them. And, uh, for the first time ever in my life. And they even played like King for a day. They were played a fucking oh. great set, but they played King for a day, which you're like, that's, that's a song that you picked. It was a blast. It was so much fun. I love King for a Day, and I love that song <laughs> Walking Alone on Nimrod where the, with yeah. the harmonica. But yeah, Dookie, I, I was obsessed with it, dude. The the artwork on the uh, the artwork and then the drawings on the inside, there was a different drawing for each lyrics for, for each of the lyric sheets. Yeah. And it just you know, Trey Cool does not get enough recognition for being a fucking fire drummer. I mean, he is just the shit that he comes up with with such a limited space. Four chord punk. And it just Yeah blows your mind every time yeah i mean it's simple but it's like it's it he he's like a drummer that just knows where to put the sounds oh yeah dude she i mean uh we're not dead covered she Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah man. it was a blast Such i'm a telling you it's it, it really is what like you know and when we were kind of going over these i was like man this is really hard to decide but i i the <clears> first <throat> thing i thought would with, with like favorite records ever dookie was like the first thing that i thought of yeah, it, so, like I mean, it definitely that's my number one on my list. Yeah, it's good. all right. Well, <clears throat> I actually have a, a a pretty big absence. Like if I if I was to think about my favorite records, the most thing, the most defining records, the ones I'd want on the desert island while I was being you know eaten by sharks because because I went into the water up to my knees. <laughs> right. Most of them would not be hardcore records, um, but I did have one that I feel is pretty indispensable. And I'm not, I don't really have an order for mine. Cause like I was saying, you know, these are three of the top hundred, maybe top 50 records that I just wouldn't want to live without. But, um, my first entry on the list is in this defiance by strife. Oh my God. Yeah. This is such a great record. I listened to it not too long ago and, um, was just floored by how still, like it still sounds so modern. Like you can still listen oh, to it yeah. today and be like, this sounds like a fucking great band today. 
Yeah, they they were it just it caught my ear at a time when I had no frame of reference in hardcore. I I didn't know I didn't know about all the Florida metalcore screamo shit. I didn't I just didn't know too much. It came out in 97 and I got it pretty quickly, probably the year after it came out. And the the way that I found out about them was obviously it wasn't on the internet. It came out on Victory in 97, which, you know, at the time it comes out on Victory. It's this huge pedigree. All these amazing bands were on Victory at the time, you know, in at least in the realm of hardcore. But they did a video for the song Blistered, which is probably the song that most people know when they think about that band. Yeah. And that video was on a video, a VHS compilation, <laughs> which was part of a series. They were the Cinema Beer series, and they were put out by Hopeless Records, who did, like, you know, a bunch of ska bands and punk bands. For anybody that doesn't know, they did, like, Against All Authority. And, well, they did D4. They did Dillinger 4. So they, they were a yeah. pretty great label. But they would put out, uh, they, would, they would compile the videos on a videotape. <laughs> you get that. But they'd also put out the soundtrack as well. So... It was cool, but in 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 uh, this would be eh, probably seventh or eighth grade. Now the first drummer of every waking moment, James. You know we used to hang out a lot back then. We were pretty good friends uh, at the time, and he just always was able to get his hands on cool music, just stuff I couldn't get. I don't know how he got it, but he just had so many CDs and all these things, and he had all the Cinema Beer tapes. He had. Cinema beer tea, cinema beer goggles, and cinema beer nuts. I, I still have cinema beer nuts. So, well, cinema beer nuts was the one that Strife appeared on, if I'm remembering correctly. And there were so many great videos on that one. Um, I, I may get, I may be getting a mix up with goggles, but I believe cinema beer nuts had debt by face to face, which was such a cool video. It just made me want to pick up a guitar. Uh, yeah. Hyena by Rancid just made me want to skate. Even doing time. MXPX, that's one of my favorite songs that they ever did. I'm not a fan of that band, but that's a great, great song. There's a few duds, like Goober Patrol, I think. And they had one of <laughs> yeah. the they had one of the songs from when Slapshot decided to become a terrible butt rock band. But at any rate, it, it was Ugh. it was a pre, it was pretty much just hit after hit after hit. But when I saw the video for Blistered with no frame of reference, it just I was enthralled. Okay. There was no story to the video. It's five guys playing instruments in a warehouse. They didn't have mohawks. They didn't have studded jackets. No flashy appearances. They had shaved heads, t-shirts, shorts, vans. They were me, okay? <laughs> Except yeah. Rick yeah. Rodney, the singer of Strife, of course, resembled Alex more than he resembled me. Yes, but... he had so many muscles. Yeah. But it was just unlike anything I'd heard before. And I was, in, I was into you know the, the initial metal bands that you get into. When you're in middle school, you know, I knew Pantera, I knew Slayer, Metallica, I knew Sepultura. I had a metalhead friend who turned me on to a lot of cool stuff. See, you started you started a way better space. I started with Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't a big death metal fan. He liked thrash. So I, I didn't I didn't really come to have an ear for any death metal or grindcore until I was much older. I've said Cannibal Corpse so many times I never thought of what that actually meant. Yeah, you're eating a dead body. Yeah, like, how insane. But I've said it all the time, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Hammer Smash Face by Cannibal Corpse. Great song. Yeah, it's, it's fucking disgusting, but it's great. Yeah. Um. So the thing was, those bands were heavy, especially Pantera, who I still love. I'm Metallica and Slayer, I can kind of take or leave. I'm not a huge fan. 
but Strife using just power chords, standard tuning, and Rick Rodney's like his voice sounded like you were punching through a side of beef. Just those those simple elements came together to make something that was so crushing. It was pure anger, intensity, and it blew me away. Because all I really knew was Epitaph Punk, Asian Man Ska Punk. You know, that's all I knew was those labels. So it just it it, it did something to me. And I I ordered uh, In This Defiance, the record that Blistered came from at Atlantic Sounds. It was probably 98 when I got it. And I put it on my in my CD player when I got home from school. And it just, it was too loud. And I turned it down because I thought my parents were going to come and be like, what are you listening to? Every track on this record. Blistered, I believe, is track number six or seven. So it's it's deep in there. It's track number seven. It opens with this ambient noise intro, and then it kicks right into waiting. There's force of change. Uh, stand is one gray will to die then blistered that's the first half of the record not to mention <laughs> forgotten one wish i knew to an end and overthrow i just gave it to you in order that's the track listing but yeah. they just hit one after the other and it just it was so sim- it was so simple to me the way that they put the riffs together i still warm up the guitar by playing waiting force of change those riffs are to me are are just timeless and like you said they sound modern they still do and strike yeah. of course you know they broke up you know after they they all broke edge because they what they were a straight edge band and this was kind of a straight edge album it had some straight edge songs on it they they got back together and they in the 2010s they they, they they'll still play some of those songs but they let somebody else sing it i believe matt moment got to sing force of change with them in richmond which is really yeah, cool that's cool I've never gotten to see them, but every heavy band I've ever been in, except for Axis, we've covered Strife at one time or another. Meantime used to always do Will to Die. That was like the go-to song. The riff is classic. I've written so many songs based around the chords that Strife used. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you can hear it in some of like the the faster hardcore bands you were in. Like there was always that influence. You could hear like the... the like yeah stuff like that yeah rewritten uh was definitely influenced on one hand by battery on the other hand by strife i just i i i don't i wouldn't say i copied i paid homage to the way that andrew klein plays guitar i love his guitar playing as much as i love like dan yemen's even though they're completely different styles stark differences both both just as angry yeah very very angry but just the the riffs on in this defiance are just some of the coolest things I've ever heard. And, and what came after anger means and um, the newest one, which I, Oh my God, I can't even remember what their comeback record was titled. It was good, but it wasn't It just in this defiance was lightning in a bottle and it was hugely influential to me. And I just, I loved it. And they, they were doing things on that record that people hadn't done yet. Chino Moreno from the Deftones. He does guest vocals on will to die Eric Bobo from Cypress Hill doing extra percussion. They have uh, Dino Cazares from awesome. Fear Factory doing uh, you know additional guitar. They were a band that crossed over from the hardcore scene into metal, and there was a time when they were they were a serious force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And at any rate, in this defiance by Strife, if you haven't ever heard it, you need to. If if you haven't listened to it in years, go back because it it holds up. I, I used to wait for bands to cover Strife. 
I would lose my mind because I never got to see them live. I remember uh, there was a band from Tampa, Strength and What Remains. They did an entire Strife cover set one time in Tampa. Yeah. At the, at, uh, not the kids. It's Transition. That's what it's called. I, I, I blacked out. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was losing it. Because those songs just do something to me. They are, that's riot fuel for me. So. <laughs> yeah i get that man i get it like there's just a couple like there's a couple hardcore records i think of that i'm like like that i lose it over like i you know i know strike anywhere is more of like a punk hardcore band but like when change the sound starts that record from front to back is is like like i am ready to take down a government <laughs> when i listen to you know yeah it's just something about it it makes you want to move I'm, I'm not even talking about something as stupid as moshing it's just like it makes you want to like cover some ground when you hear something you're like oh, oh. yeah it gives you a mission yeah i i just i remember pouring over the lyric booklet learning all the songs even though i wasn't straight edge i was like force of change you know you know uh, <laughs> those who will walk the straight edge tradition held to my grave it just <laughs> it's 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 funny it's funny to hear that stuff and you're like oh yeah maybe not so much there's a good interview with Rick Rodney about it. Like he talks a little bit about breaking edge and, and, and stuff. It's, it's from their com- witness of rebirth was their comeback record, but it's, it's from around then. So yeah, it's on YouTube. It's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good kickoff, man. I like, I like, uh, that's, that is a great record. That is a really great hardcore record, especially for people who are just like discovering hardcore. Like you want to give the, the, the Mount Rushmore of hardcore records. Like that would be up there. Yeah. The heaviest band to ever play in standard tuning. <laughs> Slayer, Slayer's in standard tuning. I mean, I would. It's different. <laughs> it's different. I guess I can't. Yeah. I guess they're not heavier than Slayer, but. All right. Well, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. I'm gonna talk about a very different genre of music with a very different style, and. Um, Strife would beat up all these wavy boys without any issue at all. <laughs> so my next record on here is um, by a band out of Brooklyn called The National. And the record is Boxer. Uh, now, now here's the thing. I know this is a newer record. This is not something that I grew up with. It's something I discovered well into my adulthood. It's, okay? like, it's at least like 10 years old, if not more. Yeah. It's not a that's new it. record. It's a, but it's a new record in terms of like, Green Day's Dookie is fucking 25 years old, <laughs> you know? So, you know, or, or more, you know, 26. at this point in time. Uh, 26 even, yeah. See, I don't do math. So, now, I don't remember how I found this record. I don't remember how I discovered this band. Again, this is, for me, one of those records just hit me at the right time for whatever reason. Um you know, they have some songs that are just incredible. I love all of their albums from Alligator on. Like, Alligator's great. Even their young, their, their stuff before Alligator was really good. Uh, but it's just kind of different. And this is where I feel like they were at their best. When they knew how to play as a band, they figured out how to play together as a band, and they started to kind of get a little bit experimental, but not really. Uh, like, you know, uh, Sleep Well Beast is a really great record, but it's really experimental. Um, Trouble Will Find Me is a really great record. Again, there's some, like, kind of different stuff on there. Their newest record is fucking amazing, but there's some experimental stuff on there, too. Boxer is very stripped down. If you're not familiar with The National, though, 
They are an indie rock band out of New York, and they are made up of two sets of siblings. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so so there's the singer, Matt Berninger, and then there are twins, Aaron and Bryce Desner. So the guitar players are twins, identical twins. So it's weird because <sighs> you're like, wait, what? how is he playing a different guitar right now? Oh, and one wait. of them is named Bryce, so that's that's not good. Yeah, and then there's also the drummer and bass player are brothers, and it's Brian and Scott uh, Devendorf. And so they've been a band for quite some time since I want to say they started playing together since around 91. So they've been around for a fucking long time. And what's cool about them is it's like I said, it's just kind of an indie rock band. This record though starts with one of the coolest songs, fake empire. It starts off with this really cool piano riff. It's super catchy. um, Sad kind of storytelling lyrics that you, that people really enjoy. As a matter of fact, what's great about, (laughs) <laughs> this band and the guy's lyric content uh, is that they the band jokes and calls him the dark lord because he's always so sad <laughs> i mean he like does they, sound sad he does sound sad and the storytelling is that about today brings me to tears almost every time i hear it because it's just talking about like it's literally talking about two people that just aren't talking but it's like i want to talk to you and i want to see if you're okay and i'm and i'm afraid that i'm going to lose you if i don't but i don't have the strength to just talk to you it's like talking about two people laying in bed. And you're like, oh, I've been there. I get it. <laughs> so I don't know why this record is on this list other than it just it's a I feel like it's a perfect record and it just moves me. Um, you know, this band is a band that I don't know why they're my, one of my favorite bands. I would put them in my top five bands right now. This record in particular is one that is, is really high up there because it just when I hear it, it moves me. There's just some records that just they hit you in a certain spot, right? Like, yeah, I remember growing up listening to a lot of the classic rock my dad listened to, but I would always gravitate to the songs too that had really good hooks and really good melodies. Like, I didn't like the Beatles for being kind of a boisterous, goofy rock band. I liked them for songs like Blackbird and songs like uh, All My Life and those songs that hit hard. Let it be. Oh my God. You know, yeah. like those those songs, like they just they 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 pull something out of you that you're not prepared for, and to me, Boxer does that. It just it just grabs on to me, and he's like, and it's like it just rips my soul out in these different ways, and um, and I it, I don't know how to explain it other than that. You know, um, it's what's weird too is Boxer is their fifth album, and so they have a ton of material before Boxer, they have a ton of material after, but Boxer is their fifth album. If you get a chance to listen to this record, listen to it front to back, listen to it, just sit and listen to it. But the standout song for me is the song Apartment Story. It starts off with this really cool snare. It's like, da, 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 and then uh, and it goes into like this really cool bass riff that plays over it. But the, the one lyric in the song is, um, be still for a second while I try to pin your flowers on. Uh, can you hold my drink or can you carry my drink? I have everything else. I can tie my tie all by myself. Like it's kind of goofy like that. Yeah. Um, but the chorus goes into, Tired and wired, we ruin too easy. Sleep in our clothes and wait for winter to leave. And I'll be with you behind the couch when they come on a different day, just like this one. Uh, we'll stay inside till somebody finds us. Do whatever the TV, TV tells us. Stay inside our rosy-minded fuzz for days. Uh, and it just kind of talks about we'll be all right. We have our looks. We have our perfume on. It's gonna be okay. And it just it's got got this like strange hope in a in, a, in an album that's not really hopeful. And um, I don't know. I, I like I said, I don't really have a reason other than it just moves me. This album just moves me, and that's why it's on my list. 
Yeah, it's. I really do like that album a lot. You're the one that got me into them. You told me it, they, it was right when it came out, I think you told me to listen to that and Alligator, the one before it. I know those albums fairly well. I know Boxer the best, but I did listen to it quite a lot uh, in the early 2010s. And I mean, it's 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 just a good album. It's it's introspective, and I really like the guy's voice. It's so deep. He's got like a baritone voice. Yeah, and, and you know, honestly, they are one of the best live bands I've ever seen too. I got to see them, uh, and actually, our friend Cream and uh, friends Cream and Renee were at the same show, and we see we saw them at the um uh the amphitheater. And I'm telling you, they played a perfect set. Like there are very few bands that you watch, and they're like, that's a perfect set, and they played a perfect set of music that night they played every song i wanted to hear they played so much off a of boxer and i just was so i mean there were times during the set that i almost cried because i was like so into what they were doing i just is unbelievable so yeah that guy's yeah, voice is that's a is good unreal. record man uh, they're they're a good band I, i'm not familiar with all their stuff like you are but that's definitely something that i i really like them yeah, I mean, I know we've talked about the idea of, of collaborations and stuff. We've talked about that on, like, how cool that is on some records, and they lean really heavy on that later. As a matter of fact, the singer, um, his wife, Karen Besser, helps write some of the lyrical content. Like, she helped write the lyrics for Karen. Um, she helped write a lot of the lyrics on the new album. They do all this really cool uh, collaboration with these different orchestras and these different uh, producers and whatnot. And, and there's some really cool stuff that they do. Um if you can get past like that whole um, artsy hipster for artsy hipster sake, they kind of feel like that vibe at first. But when you kind of get past that, they're like just musicians trying to do something cool. I'll tell you a good collaboration. What's that? Onyx and biohazard. (laughs) It's like totally in the same boat. (laughs) All right. Don't worry. I'm going to bring it up. My last one's a, is a, is a good one. Oh, my, my last one is quite cheerful. Good. (laughs) all right so for my next pick uh i've chosen a record and a band that we've talked about on here several times so i i'm I'm not gonna have too much ground to retread but one of the other albums that yes i i did pick formative records i guess i didn't need to there are modern records that i i really love almost as much as some of the stuff i'm listening or listing here but the record i chose is You Are Freaking Me Out by Sam I Am. Oh, damn it. I almost put Sam I Am on my, on my list. And I, yeah. I would have put a stray on there, but You Are Freaking Me Out is so fucking good. I, I That's why I felt safe picking this one, because I knew you'd probably pick a stray. I'd pick this one. They're both incredible records. But um, You Are Freaking oh, Me Out man. came out in 97. Same year In This Defiance came out. And I found out about it around the same time. So Amelia used to BMX and she had all these BMX videos. Once again, VHS tapes coming into it. And (laughs) back in the day, skateboarding and BMX videos and surfing videos, you know, they weren't, they weren't skating to odd future. They were skating and surfing and biking to hot water music, to Snapcase, to Sam. I am. And the first time I heard them was on some BMX video where the song, she found you, which was the big uh, sort of underground hit off of this record. It's track two, but I would say that the first, the whole record is fantastic, but the first half of it, I mean, all the way up, probably like track one through seven does not let up. 
Um, the other tracks it, are great. Some of them, some of them aren't as memorable as full on. She found you factory, ordinary life. Like those hit like a ton of bricks, but it's still a great, great record. Probably could very easily have picked any of their records. Clumsy. Uh, Clumsy is the one I like the least only because I know it the least. I, I love, I enjoy it, but you are freaking me out. Right. When they really embrace this full on, like we're kind of, we're a punk band. But we're kind of like indie rock pop too, but we still have this driving urgency to our music. It's not weak sounding, which I appreciate. Right. And yeah. Oh yeah. So aside from Sergi Lobkoff's guitar playing, his riffs are always very unique and melodic and cool. The one standout factor with this band is the vocals, and that's the guy named Jason Bebout or Bebot. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but he just has I this Bebow. Bebow? Yeah, okay. I think it's Bebow. He just has this voice that can convey so much emotion, but without ever resorting to screaming or being very sing-songy. You know, like when you hear when you hear pop punk bands or you hear melodic rock bands, a lot of times you get this high register and I just I don't I've just never liked that. Bebow's voice is mid-range, it's strong, it's he just conveys a lot of feeling with it. And oh yeah, you know, like I said, I could have picked any of their records. Clumsy, this one, Astray, uh, whatever's got you down, and Trips. But this is the one that really turned me around for them. I I think it edges the other ones out, and that's that's probably the nostalgia talking. But this this record just it reminds me of the late '90s, high school skateboarding, and, and it's not like a good record has to remind you of something, but this one does. And I think I heard it around the winter time, and I, I ordered it once again from Atlantic Sounds because they didn't have it in stock. I got it. It didn't <laughs> right. leave my CD player. You know, it, it just every it was in everyone's car, and it just it's it's indelibly one of those formative records. But it, it just like with Strife, it sounds like a modern record. It holds up. If you have no nostalgia for the band, it doesn't matter. Their last six records have been flawless, uh, but I would start at this oh, one absolutely. if anyone's interested in Sam I Am, which we've already talked about. But seeing them live yeah. with Knapsack, that set was probably the most perfect set I've ever seen. They played everything I wanted to hear, and they played it perfectly and amazingly, and I just I was so happy. So at any rate, yeah, you are freaking me out by Sam I Am. 97 Burning Heart Records and Ignition Records because, fact, Atlantic signed them, dropped them, refused to put this record out, so they acquired it back from them and then put it out with Ignition and Burning Heart. Nice. Oh, man. I, um, you know, I saw, I've seen them twice. I saw them play with, was it Hot Water Music? Yeah, they toured with Hot Water Music when Hot Hot Water Music got back together. So I got to see them with with Hot Water Music, and then I saw them again at that Knapsack show, um, which is like, it could be the Knapsack show, it could be the Strike Anywhere show, it could be the Wilhelm Scream show. That show was fucking awesome. Like, that lineup was insane. And I didn't Um, even know you were going to be there. I know. Remember we ran into each other? (laughs) That was so great. What a great day. And then we we left before Propagandi and got pizza. (laughs) Which is the second time I've done that. <laughs> I mean, I like propaganda. I I would, but we were like, I'm too hungry, and 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 the guy from Wilhelm Scream had so much energy that I could. He made me tired. <laughs> yeah, 
man, what another great band. Oh, that's good. Oh, same AM. So good. So good. Love it. I love them so much. I think I heard Sunshine on a comp. That's how I found them. Yeah, it was probably on a Hopeless comp because Astray came out on Hopeless. So my last Desert Island disc for tonight um, is, a, I would I would also say a flawless record. Um, I've talked about this band before. I want to say we've probably talked about this record before, and it's one that we <laughs> we we have like we've spent a lot of time around this record for multiple reasons, and uh, this record is Everclear's "So Much for the Afterglow." Yeah. Dude, we were just listening to it. We were just listening to it. Oh, my God. So fucking good. So it came out in 97 as the follow-up to Sparkle and Fade. If you're not familiar, the hit song, Everything to Everyone, and I Will Buy You a New Life, and Father of Mine came off that record. It, this 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 record was like their big hit record. Sparkle and Fade had Santa Monica and Heroin Girl on it, but this one had kind of like more of the pop sensibilities that were more accessible to people. And they really had most of their big hits from it. The The album after it songs from an American movie or whatever it was called, um, had like wonderful, that song, wonderful on it and AM radio and stuff. But this was the one that I remember 97. I was, I was 11. So I was going into sixth or seventh grade, sixth grade. I was in sixth grade going. And then like, I remember bringing the CD. I bought the CD. I remember bringing the CD and listening to it nonstop on the way to DC for my eighth grade DC trip. Okay. Um, but spent all my money at the, at the music store that we stopped at. <laughs> you always do. You fucking idiot. I always did. Um, and, and you'll, I'll have, you know, that's when I bought, I had, I didn't spend all my money. I spent the last bit of money that I had. So I didn't get any snacks on the way back, but I did get Slipknot's self-titled record on that trip. That's so, a solid buy. Worth it. 100% worth it. So I remember loving Sparkle and Fade. I remember getting Sparkle and Fade later, but I remember really loving this band. Just kind of Santa Monica was a song that I was really into. Um, I remember when Everything to Everyone came out. I remember just being a, a, a obsessed with that song. Um but I again, I wanted to kind of provide a couple facts around this album. Now, first of all, Art, the the singer, Art Alexicus, Alexicus, started the band when he was thirty years old. So you know, Jeez. there's still hope. So he's in his sixties now, almost. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wait, what is? So he's what, he's what like this. I think he's like I think he's like my dad's age. What year did they become a band? Um, early nineties, like yeah, they were on MTV in the early nineties. He's got to be pushing sixty at this point. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Man, they formed in nineteen ninety one. Holy shit, he's fifty (laughs) nine. Yeah, in Portland, Oregon, they talk about California all the time. But he's there. They they formed in Portland, Oregon, and they actually formed when they started putting stuff together. They started getting. uh, They wanted to be that band that was different than Nirvana at the time because Nirvana was blowing up too. Yeah. Um, And and you know, the art would say, "Oh well, the scene doesn't really accept me here." Da 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 da. And the story is really he's kind of a drama queen. So now, what's interesting about this record? Now, first of all, 
It's record front to back flawless. Kind of talked about that. It starts off with that really cool Beach Boys thing. It ends with um, uh, the song California King, which is a really cool song. Uh, it has that really good secret track, which was on our I Don't Want a Christmas list. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, but the record itself kind of was a strange. It, there's a strange undertaking. It was their sophomore hit, right? They had World of Noise was their first record. They had Sparkle on Fade, which was like their their first real record. And then so much for the Afterglow. They were like, now we've hit it big. We have to record this thing. So they went in to record. And they started working with this producer named Jim Rondinelli. And they actually had to change producers in the middle of the recording because Art hadn't finished his lyrics for the record. And the record label called and had asked for an extension. They needed a couple weeks off while Art finished his lyrics. And the producer was like, nah. And so um, they got this guy named Neil Avrin to come in. And he finished the record. So they had two separate producers working on this record because of they weren't prepared. Now, that lends itself to the discussion around we've had this more than once where how are you not prepared to walk into a studio and, and record your stuff? Yeah, that, that blows my mind. Unless you are a massive band and you have the money to burn, I just don't get it. It's 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 naivete or just being stupid. Yeah, it's very strange. I never understood it. Like, I mean, maybe that's just because out of necessity, we just didn't have time. But I still just never understood that. I mean, we've recorded a full length in two days. Some more things about this record I thought were interesting. So, um, one of the producers. Uh, I think Neil Avrin had said something when they were kind of asking him about the, the re- recording process. They said they ran into some trouble because there were odd, these odd pitch changes on the record that you, it's hard to notice unless you really have an ear for it. But he basically said if a band sucks live, it's because the producer is making them sound really good on the record. Like if they if they suck live and they're good on the record, it's because the producer makes them sound really good on the record, um, which is not far from the truth. But he had described that when Art would come in and he would work on stuff, he would speed up the tapes. So he would speed up the sound and it would cause these weird pitch shifts on the on the tape that they were recording on because they recorded on tape back then. And they didn't have the technology to actually adjust the pitch when he would speed up the tape. So Ooh. I've never noticed that on the record, but I guess that's like a thing that happened on that record. Weird. Yeah, I yeah, never no, noticed right? that either. That's strange. Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange. Um, another thing that I thought was really interesting, that opening Beach Boys harmony. Oh, yeah. Which is one of, it's, if you're not familiar with it, go stop stop this recording now and go listen to the intro to So Much for the Afterglow. And it's this really cool Beach Boys harmony that goes into this really great, bright California type of pop punk song. Uh, not pop punk, but like like this really poppy, like pop sensibility punk rock song. Now, what's interesting is it, that that part was written without art in the studio. Wait, oh, the harmony? The harmonies. So he, so he went to the producer and he said, I want something that sounds like the Beach Boys, but I got to go. And he left. <laughs> the hell, man. And they wrote it while he was gone. Um, and so kind of in that discussion, we had the, you had Craig Montoya and, uh, and, um, I forget what the drummer's name was at the time, but they, they kind of talked about their experience was kind of odd and, and strange like that. The producer actually said that it was a weird experience for him working with them because they were kind of this weird cut and paste band where they came in with a ton of unfinished ideas. They would record some stuff and they would just kind of paste stuff together as they went. So there was this really odd songwriting process that they had that didn't really make any sense to the producers that were working with them. That's so weird because they already had the one full length under their belts, you know. Right. 
So because yeah. and because Sparkle and Fades like a full length. It's like a long record. Isn't it like fourteen yeah. songs or something? Yeah, it's like fourteen or fifteen songs. This one's thirteen songs uh, officially, or twelve songs officially, and then that thirteenth hidden song. Oh, so weird. I, I mean, and the thing is, is like Art Alexicus is a is a pretty prolific writer. I mean, he writes a ton of stuff. He's got solo records. He's got he he wrote the songs for an American mu- uh, movie. Was two albums. I mean, he wrote two albums for that release and um, had to release them separately. So he definitely sounds like um, like the Brian Wilson type. Like maybe not agoraphobic, but like the tortured genius trying to get the sound right. Just kind of like difficult to deal with. Yeah, that's actually what happened on the the songs for an American movie volume one, the first one that came out. It was supposed to be his solo record. And he didn't like the way it sounds, so he brought in Everclear to round it out, the rest of the band, and they recorded it as Everclear instead. Oh, that's so. so weird. It's like it, you would you wouldn't get that half baked vibe from the record though. It sounds it sounds like intentionally written that way. I mean, there was three hit singles off of it. Right. And every song on it's good. Even the instrumental, which is I usually skip, it's still not a bad song, and it leads right into Infetamin Amph- really well. I think I think people really love that drummer old one beat Johnny, same beat over and over again. Yeah, people probably thought that those three singles were all the same song. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy you a new life. That's the song, right? Yeah, the one talks about the dad, right? And it's got the woo and a couple of them, but it, it works. It's it's amazing. I wish I'd ever written a fucking song that was as good as any one of those. The the guy knows the guy knows his way around a pop song for sure. Yeah, he's he's like it's like the Beach Boys cross with punk almost. Like I don't know. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. I mean, there's some of the records are hit or miss, but that one in particular is really it's up there for me. And um, you know, to kind of solidify why this one is a real favorite of mine is like it was really it came to me at a formative time. It came to me at a really like yeah, I was a kid. It was really kind of big. It, like the the '90s for music were really important for both of us, I think, because oh, yeah. we were lucky to grow up in the space where music was actually good on the radio. Yeah, and um, you know, I remember. So I started learning how to play guitar um, later in my life. I, I started playing guitar. Didn't really like it. Started playing bass. Got comfortable with that, and then picked up a guitar again. Well, I got an acoustic guitar, and when Riley was a baby, I would. Like when she would sit in her crib or she would be playing on the floor, I would actually play the song Sunflowers to her. I learned how to play that and I would play it and sing it. Um, and it's God, it's even more relevant now where I'm talking about like, oh, yeah, you have a temper. I know exactly where you get that from. I can tell you exactly where that's from. <laughs> and um, so but that was something that was like when everything else was really god awful. In, in that time when I was in my first apartment, that was the, the really cool thing. I was like, she would smile. She would laugh. She would have fun with that. She liked when I played guitar. She would sit in my lap while I play guitar. And that song just is really meaningful for me uh, for that reason too. So now standout songs on this record, I think any you can pick any one of them and be fine. If you want to get away from the singles, I always tend to, pe- to, to, to point people towards the back half of the record because the back half of the record is even better than the first half and it doesn't have any of the singles. Um, songs like Infetamin, great song. Um, Why I Don't Believe in God is one of the best written songs that I've ever heard. Uh, the White Men in the Black Suits, great, fantastic song. Um, and, and just kind of this, we has this weird, nefarious feeling. Like it feels like it could be in a Bukowski movie. Um, but either way, 
if you get a chance to just sit down and listen to so much for the afterglow, it's just a lot of fun. And I feel like it doesn't age really. I, I feel like it, I'm sorry. I feel like it doesn't age at all. Like I feel like you could listen to it now and be pretty okay with it too. Yeah. I think that's kind of a common thread among most of our records. Maybe not my first pick, but it's <laughs> uh they, they sound modern. They don't sound dated. They just, I guess either they were ahead of their time or they did something so well that yeah. it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter 30 years later. It's fucking sounds great. Right, and those are always the best records. I mean, that's why people still listen to Led Zeppelin and, like, Motley Crue or whatever. I mean, they sound pretty dated, but there are some records, like the Beatles, they they transcend time. You can listen to it forever. I mean, yeah, well, definitely the Beatles. Dr. Feelgood, though, sounds... I, I know it sounds like the 80s, but it's they're doing some, some awesome shit on that record that most of those bands were not doing. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really, I always like Vince Neil's. Yeah. Like, I don't know why it sounds like a chicken in that moment, but I always thought that when I was a kid. I mean, look, Kickstart My Heart. I know that's a song everybody knows. And when I hear that song, I want to just, I want to punch everything. It makes me like want to duck my head down like a bull and run at a wall. <laughs> when I hear the beginning of uh, Dr. Feel Good, I just want to like walk like a bulldog like you know just like, you know, strutting like, around trying to hold up your face folds yeah barrel chested i have bad back i can't breathe now i didn't i didn't for my picks on my list i didn't order them in any certain number but i had a tie for number one because they were both they both came out the same year on the same label they even had some musicians help on from one band help on the record of the other band. They were inextricably linked, and I, I, I just couldn't pick one or the other, so I had to do both. So I'm going to kind of do them side by side as I go. Okay. Now, these choices may seem unorthodox, but I, I, like I said, I didn't put them in any order, but these will always be towards the top for me. I don't care what's on the list. Okay. You know, when people say, what are some of your favorite records? People from our era, they'll say, like, you know, Suffer, Punk and Drublick, Energy, Dookie, all the records that we we named. But Goldfinger is self-titled, and Real Big Fish has turned the radio off. <laughs> so I, w- I almost made a Goldfinger reference earlier because Mike Herrera from MXPX is the bass player for Goldfinger right now. Yeah, he is, um, which I think is a big step up from his his usual gig. Now, Agreed. These choices may not seem to make sense for someone like me because I'm always extolling the virtues of like All Out War and Marauder, and then I'm talking about dissection and shit like that. But the thing about my personality is I like extremes. So I like extremely dark, fucked up raw music sometimes. Like I want to listen to Pig Destroyer. I want to listen to Rotten Sound or, you know, Mayhem. But then the flip side of it is I want to listen to something that is so fun and happy you'll get diabetes from it. And that's where Goldfinger (laughs) and Real Big Fish and all the I still love so many of the ska punk bands. And it's especially these two records. It's not about nostalgia, like I said before, but there is nostalgia, but that's not the only reason. I love both of these records so goddamn much. So, 
we're going to go through them real quick. They both came out. Now, I, I heard 96. Some people say 95. Wikipedia says 95, but I could have sworn it was 96 that both of these records came out on Mojo Records. Now, this right. was a time when the Boston's were on MTV. No doubt. Um, you know, tons of the suicide machines were even on MTV. It was, it was the Scott punk explosion of the nineties when all those third wave bands got popular for a couple of years and then they all fell off. They all did warp tour like two years in a row and then it was over. And that was it. I never tired of them. I, I just, I never tired of these two records. So Goldfinger, real big fish. Goldfinger was more of a punk band, Real Big Fish, more of a ska punk band. They had a permanent horn section. Goldfinger had some ska songs, but they had more punk songs on their record. The self-titled Goldfinger album with the space lady on the front and the gold foil logo, which Alan Forbes, Uh the artist who did that, also did AFI's Black Sails, Art of Drowning, and All Hallows EP, if you can believe that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I can believe that. It's very stylized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that Goldfinger record, most people only remember the hit, and that was Here in Your Bedroom. And then everybody remembers the record that followed it, Hang Ups, where Superman was the big hit single, and that was on like the Tony Hawk games, and everybody knows that song. And Hang Ups is a good record. It was a pretty good follow-up. But the self-titled record is a perfect ska punk record from that day. There are so many amazing songs on it, aside from Here in Your Bedroom, which I think is a fantastic song. But uh, Miles Away anxiety anything those are some of the top tracks and they're just straight punk rippers with big sing-alongs because john feldman the guitarist and the vocalist for goldfinger he's a prolific producer now and he just had this ear for crafting these great fun catchy ska punk tunes he you know he he's the guy who discovered the used right that's uh that's bizarre um and shameful yeah, he and he produced the last couple of Blink One Eighty Two albums. Like he's done production for a, a lot of shit bands, but there are bands that like he helped them write their albums. Like he helped write Nine, the Blink One Eighty Two record. Honestly, Nine is a great record, so I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, there's even some some full throttle, like almost hardcore songs on the self titled Goldfinger record. The city with two faces about how much he hates living in L. A. And uh, the song Nothing to Prove, which is a song I always want to We're Not Dead to do because it is it is like just just it makes me want to chew on the side of a table when I hear it. <laughs> now, it's, the band, it makes me want to engage in pica. <laughs> the band was they were fast and they were precise. And I'll always remember the sound of Darren Pfeiffer's snare drum because he used a popcorn snare. <laughs> all throughout yeah. that record and it's just like you hear that bop, 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 and it, it sounds maybe it'll sound stupid the first time you hear it but for me i just had no frame of reference and it just it's just part of it for me now i hear that sound and i'm instantly locked in and and john feldman's voice which you know i told you blood for blood was a big influence on the way i wrote songs yeah john feldman's voice is a huge influence especially on the way i sang and we're not dead because he was able to carry a tune while still being gruff you know, I always loved his vocals. I thought they were perfect because he could go from fast punk songs to, you know, it's he to go to something that's like full on ska, like another he has. A, they have a song called King for a Day, which is a great ska song. Yeah, I mean, I I remember I'm the first time I remember hearing Goldfinger because I feel like a lot of people the first time they heard it was that song Superman. But I remember listening and loving here in your bedroom like that to me was 
when all the ska songs were coming out and like you had all those hits to me um uh the mighty mighty boston song um you know, uh, and what, 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 I can't even remember what it's called right now. We're so fucking tired. The impression that I get. Yeah, that song. That song is fucking great. That song yeah, is yeah. still one of the best songs ever written. Um, oh, yeah. But and you're, let's face it, the record that's from could easily be on my list, too. I love that album. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember just as much I remember loving here in your bedroom. And, like, I remember waiting up and recording it on the when it was on Crow Radio yeah. on my tape. Me, too. I did the exact same thing. So to close out Goldfinger, um, I know that they get this rap as like this kind of goofy band that had a couple of pop hits, but self-titled track listing is pretty unfuckwithable. Um, there's even uh, After Pictures, which is a great song, the 14th track. There's a uh, there's a phone call they recorded where John Feldman pretends to be applying to this band called Abby Normal. Like they, they answered an ad in a music store and the, the, he's asking him like what his, you know, what are your qualifications? Like I used to play in this like grindcore band called Ripping Hammer, like really fucked up shit, man. We used to do crack. Like it's very funny. And then there's a hidden track called Fuck You and Your Cat, which is a great song as well. But it does capture the sound of the 90s, that third wave ska, but it's there's so many good songs on it. And I couldn't do without it, to be honest. And I'll say the same thing for Turn the Radio Off by Real Big Fish. Less punk. But it was like another side of the coin. Goldfinger even borrowed their horn players to play on King for a Day and Answer is another great song off that record. So Real Big Fish, kind of from the same area, Southern California. And they, you know, they came out with that song Sell Out. It was on MTV. It was huge. Everybody fucking loved them. And then when they put out the second record, it was sort of like an answer to them being popular. Which is, is, is a fantastic record. Their follow-up, Why Do They Rock So Hard? But right. turn the radio off. I got my hands on it when I was a kid, like 6th, 7th grade or something. And it just, it, it I, I loved it. It was like they were from another world, you know? Just the way that they, they were so funny in their videos and the songs were great. Aaron Barrett, the singer, guitarist, had a great voice. They, they were just, this, it's such a bright, happy, fun, danceable album. And I would, I mean, every song on it is fantastic, but Sellout's the one everybody remembers. But I'll say, Join the Club, great song. Uh, All I Want is More, Nothing, and I'll Never Be are some of the ones that get overlooked from time to time. And that band, <laughs> yeah, still I remember has seeing it. them. I remember seeing them. Yeah, no, they were, they played, where'd they play? They played at Embry Riddle not too long ago. Maybe a couple of years ago. That was that was a while ago. They played at Embry Riddle um, in Daytona with Less Than Jake, and it was a blast to sit in the gym, the gym and watch them play that show. It was so fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean that's the same place I saw the Boston's at. But um, I saw- I also saw Everlast there. So, <laughs> well, Annie took me to see them for my birthday last year in St. Augustine in June, and it almost got rained out, but. They they and they opened for Bowling for Soup, which was so stupid. But and so their set was Ugh. cut short. And but it they had they were having so much fun. And Aaron Barrett, I think, is the only original member. Which some people might say, like, get over it, dude. But he is having so much fun on stage. There's a video, and this this is how I'll sum it up. There's a newer video from like the past year or so, where Goldfinger is joined on the stage by real big fish now it's it's an outdoor festival and i believe it's from like 2019 it it, is but they play sell out together with john feldman singing okay aaron barrett singing the whole horn section everybody in goldfinger 
and they are dancing around and jumping into the crowd and having so much fun. And as I was watching it, I realized, not for the first time, that that's that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> I don't. I didn't care about hardcore. I didn't care. You know, I wanted to do that, and that was it. If I could have joined a ska band, singing, playing guitar, playing bass, if I knew how to play a horn, I would have done that and never looked back. But instead, I got stuck. You would in have this been a fucking, totally different person. I, I'm, I'm saying I might not. I might not have been so neurotic in my twenties. I might not be such a curmudgeon now. I wanted that more than anything in the world. That's what I wanted. And to see those bands come together, it was so fun and funny. Really Fish is one of the funniest bands you'll ever see live because they just have so much good banter, you know. I saw them in oh, yeah. the late two I saw them in the early 2000s together at the House of Blues and it was a great show. Goldfinger played fucking uh Smiling by Operation Ivy. It, it was uh I know it sounds ridiculous that I picked these records, but Self-Titled by Goldfinger, Turn the Radio Off by Real Big Fish never fail to put me in a good mood and i would have to have them on the desert island as i was beating the seagulls away when they tried to peck my eyes out (laughs) yeah i mean i i get i get that like um there are just some records that are just a ton of fun like for me uh destruction by definition by suicide machines is that record another good one a fantastic love that record. record it's perfect and it's so much fun like um the song the van song like that's you know, so anyway, I don't think it's ridiculous. I think it's fantastic. And I'm so glad that you put those on there. I knew there was going to be ska records on there somewhere. It's just a matter of where they fell. As we do more of these episodes throughout, you know, hopefully the years that we're doing this podcast. Cause I feel like there'd be a hole in my life if we didn't do this. Yeah. No joke. Uh, Less than Jake, uh, ME330. They'll all make it on there at some time, but uh, you know, there's a, there's a good chance that if you're ever driving around Central Florida, if you're ever driving around Volusia County and you see <laughs> me going by, I'll be literally singing to one of those records in my car with the windows up or down. Doesn't really matter to me. That's that's true. That's accurate. Well, all right. That that's so, those are those are some of the records that we cannot do without. Strange as some of them may seem. Yeah, and you know, again, to answer that ridiculous question, if I had to go, if I had to bring three records to a desert island, I would ask, why am I getting sent to a desert island? Yeah, what did I do? What did I do? Why do I deserve this? And why do I need records when I get there? Now, again, it's a ridiculous question. We gave you ridiculous answers, but also sentimental answers. Um, So, but yeah, there's going to be probably more episodes because there's just, it's just impossible to pick and it's going to ebb and flow. I mean, I could have talked about Stranger Than Fiction by Bad Religion nonstop. You know, um, Strike Anywhere is another one. I could talk about um, uh, Third Eye Blind self-titled record. That is a Desert Island record for me. But, you know, we spent our time talking about these ones. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't put Bad Religion on this. uh, I really struggled, man. Like, Bad Religion, um, you know, and and you go through their whole discography, but Stranger Than Fiction could have been on there. Um, The Decline could have been on there. Oh, yeah. uh, so long and thanks for all the shoes could have been on there. Uh, so and outcome the wolves could have been on there. Um, everything sucks could have been on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think about all that. Like Rocket to Russia could have been on there. Like just there's all kinds yeah. of stuff on there that you know that's just and that's just from the punk stuff. That's not even like talking about the Van Halen records that I like. And 
Um, some of the classical stuff that I like or some of the soundtracks, like the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack, definitely on that list. So, Yeah, I didn't even put any metal on mine. So, At the gates. Yeah, oh, my God. Slaughter the Soul? Oh, yeah. That would be great to have that one record so that when you get rescued, that's all the people here. <laughs> they, they pull up and they're like, you hear, Slaughter of the Soul. I would avoid that island altogether. So anyway, I think it's time for our last segment for the day, right? Yeah. We haven't done one of these in a while. I know. And this one was painful. Well, it's time for explain this bad. Explain this bad. What the fuck did you become a punk for? Hey man. Kid wants to be a punk. I'm gonna be a punk. Um, before we get started, happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh yeah, happy Cinco de Mayo. Which is perfect for this band. Because they have a five in their name too. <laughs> yes. So um so I watched a video of this band. Mm-hmm. And I tried to count how many dreadlocks the singer had. <laughs> I tried to understand how poker fits in with punk rock or hardcore. <laughs> and I was so just just so very upset by the amount of bounce in their songs. So oh. much bounce. Yeah. It like but not good bounce, like bad bounce. That's that, and I have no words because because this band does not deserve a higher level of language. This band has bad bounce. This band is not nice. I've I've lowered my language to talk to the the knuckle draggers that listen to this band. Ooh. This band is called Fury of 5 or today Fury of Cinco. Mike explain this band. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. So <laughs> this one fucking hurt. The saga of Jersey's most infamous sons can uh-huh. be summed up in one lyric. For years been pushed aside, shut out by foolish pride. Jersey won't be disgraced. We're taking respect. It's not where you're from. It's where you're at. That's the whole band right there. Yeah, they look like that lyric. Well, Fury of Five, hardcore band from Asbury Park, New Jersey, formed in 94. So they had a couple of LPs. First in 96, uh, No Reason to Smile. That was their first one. Then they did At War with the World in 98, and this time is Personal in 2000. Uh, the last two they did with Victory. They were in their day. Sounds kind of crazy, but they were on a lot of high-profile hardcore and metal tours in the U.S. They were definitely a crossover band. They toured with Madball, Earth Crisis, VOD, Integrity, Fear Factory, Propane. They played Dynamo Fest, which, you know, that big outdoor European metal festival. Yeah. Pretty massive back in the in the 90s. If you want to know what they sound like, I will, I will, of course, link them in the show notes. But they are very groovy, heavy hip-hop influence hardcore thuggy very similar to biohazard but even more ignorant you might call them borderline new metal 
but uh, I wouldn't uh, because I'm sort of like the sommelier of bands that nobody likes anymore. So I, I, that's I, a, that's I can, fair. I hear the nuances and the tones and the notes. See, but I listen to new metal, and there, and I know new metal is bad, and I can't, I can't listen to this. Like, like I think about there was a band that came out a few years ago, uh, not a few years ago, like when we were kids, and they were called Crossbreed, and they were this really bad band. Or even I think of like Scrape, <laughs> and um, Scrape. I forgot Scrape. about that. Yeah. See, I, I've got I've got a bank. Uh, you want to talk about new metal? I could talk about new metal all day. Talk about crossbreed and scrape and fucking nonpoint. I would rather listen to nonpoint. I saw nonpoint play at the Iceplex. I would listen to nonpoint every day of the week over this band. The only reason I would choose nonpoint over Fury, seeing them live, is because I don't want to die, and I would die at a Fury show. Um, yeah. Not because I like nonpoint better, because that sense of danger is in- integral. To Furia 5. They had this gangster vibe. They had this gangster look. I'm going to link the do or die video, which Shane watched. All the dreadlocks flying around. But the guys in the band and their crew, because they definitely had a giant crew with them at all times. They look like extras from The Sopranos. Because, you know, those 90s, 90s hardcore fashion in all subgenres of hardcore was different. Okay, but especially these dudes. They wore like tracksuits, gold chains, wife beaters big jackets they were jersey as fuck they were more gangster than biohazard and there's a good reason for that they were so the band has always had a reputation they've always been feared they were banned from like everywhere throughout their tenure everywhere in jersey you know they were just they were banned 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 mostly because of their vocalist and the antics that he would get up to his voc- his name is James Ismeen, uh, but he goes by the the moniker Stickman. Ah, now his his last I don't know if Ismeen is his is his real last name because everyone else in the band Jay Fury, Johnny Anger, Chico Violencia, Mike Terror, Chris Rage, and Mad Mark all had angry aliases. Why are they so mad? I don't know. So, well, because they they're they're just gangster dudes from Jersey. They got to be pissed about something. So James is mean, is the least confrontational of those names. If that's not his real name, if it was just like yo James is mean, <laughs> it's sort of like <laughs> it's sort of like you know you got Jay Fury, Johnny Anger, Mike Terror, and then you got Johnny Bit of a Bad Attitude. He's he's the heart in the Captain Planet group. Well, actually, he's not. He's the scariest one out of all of them. Cause, so he's you know, fire? He, yeah, he's the guy that stabs you to death with your own sharpened femur. So That's cool. Fury, yes, I do enjoy the music. I don't, I don't like all the records, but This Time is Personal is, is, a, is, a, is one I really do enjoy. And, but it wouldn't be Fury without all the tall tales and legends of Stickman's violent exploits, which he has talked at great length about, so I'm not, I'm not breaking any news here. There was this great blog, burningxtime.blogspot.com, that only did a few posts, but they interviewed Paul Bearer from Sheer Terror and uh, Stickman and Jay Fury. This is about 10 years back, and they got the straight dope on a ton of incidents that happened in the 90s during Fury's heyday. So, just to name a few. They beat up Seven Dust. They beat up Coal Chamber. uh, And they beat up Stuck Mojo. 
Oh, Slick Mojo sucks. And I said, no, Seven Dust and Cold Chamber, way better new metal bands than Fury of Five. <laughs> well, they beat up those guys. Um, Stickman once called Phil from Pantera <laughs> a bitch because he stopped a fight during Pantera's <laughs> set. And the way he quoted himself was, <laughs> yo, Phil, use a bitch. <laughs> wow. And uh, He sounds like, I would. I want to read his poetry. Phil did not respond because um, even I think Phil Anselmo knew who Stickman was. Uh, they admitted to regularly traveling with a guitar bag filled with swords and other weapons, just in case. Um, there was a story about Stickman disarming a guy with a gun, uh, just took it out of his hand. A lot of stories about beating up Nazis in Philly. Um, also beating up the, the, That's okay. the European metalcore band Deviate after they borrowed their equipment and then continuing to play through the equipment after they beat them up. And on the propane tour, they were also touring with pissing razors and the drummer was doing the sound and apparently he fucked up Fury's sound and then they beat him up. So they just sort of blast everybody who dared get in their way, which I mean, they're all angry. Yeah, and it sounds fucked up, and you know I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of one of those beatdowns because the, these are real dudes, and they've admitted so themselves, and the stories have been borne out and corroborated. But you know, hardcore and punk rock was not always meant to be a safe haven. We've talked about it before. The '80s and the '90s were different. We were lucky, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't have to fight to survive. Now, right. I will I will link the burning burning time blog spot so you can read the stories because they're great. Um, it's on par with the Ezek interviews I've talked about where he gets stabbed with a screwdriver and cries to the cure with Rick to life. Speaking <laughs> of Rick right. to life, this is the final, this is, this is how I'll close out fury here. This is the sort of epilogue to the story. So speaking of Rick to life for anyone who doesn't know who I'm talking about, Rick to life was a guy so named, uh, because he sang for a band called 25 to life a new york hardcore band that was around since the early 90s they're very infamous because rick had a very unique vocal styling how would you describe uh-huh. rick to life's voice um i don't want to it sounded that's like how it, i would describe it i would describe it as i don't want to it kind of sounds like a dying bird like gah! Gah! like uh, that's just what it yeah. is you got to get used to it i still have my strength through unity 10 inch I like it. I don't like all the records. Strength of Unity is a banger, though. Anyway, Rick to Life, kind of in the 2010s, he kind of lost his mind publicly. Some would say that he's already crazy because he, you know, they, they he first he became a meme, Rick to Life on a horse. That was a uh-huh. meme. You can look it up. It's very funny. Um, he's done shows without a drummer before, just a guitarist and him. No drum oh. machine, just guitar and his vocals. Um, he, he did dabble in hip hop much like Stickman did, but Stickman, uh, although I'm not a big fan of his verses, um, <laughs> Rick to life's were way worse. Uh, and he would drop the N bomb pretty regularly. And Rick to life is a white guy, even though he has dreadlocks. Uh, he attempted to sell those <laughs> dreadlocks true. on eBay attempted. Um, and what? he's a notorious bootlegger of other bands, shirts, tapes, and CDs, uh, he would bootleg shit the bands that he was on tour with, and he would sell them out of his van. I bought two overpriced CDs from him when Twenty Five to Life played here in Daytona. Because you were afraid of him? N- no, no. Rick to Life was just kind of crazy. He wasn't like a scary, intimidating dude. But like I said, 
he kind of went nuts publicly and Facebook, MySpace and Twitter. He just kind of like went nuts and started lighting up all these bands, calling them racist and talking tons and tons of shit, just spreading lots of rumors. Right. And like I said, Stickman was becoming a rapper at the same time. And he put out a diss track against Rick to life. And uh, it, Rick's Rick to life's real name is Rick Healy. And the track was entitled Healy's whack. And, uh, the hook goes, Healy's whack, Healy's whack, Healy's whack, all these bitches screaming Healy's whack. I mean, and it's a little on the nose. Part of his verse is he actually does part of it in Rick to Life's voice. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he says, the line he says in his voice is, fuck you because you're pissing me off. And then he, he does drop the N-bomb too. He's, I'll say, he says, ninja. You sound like a dying dog. Wow. Except he he, like, he goes all in. So basically where this ends up, Rick to Life is basically banned from the hardcore scene. He was a New York band. Uh, they weren't well liked anyway, but he was kind of like banned. I don't, I don't know how that happens officially or unofficially. But then in 2017, it was announced that 25 to Life would be playing This Is Hardcore. The big hardcore fest in Philly for anyone who doesn't know. It was kind of like a who's who. Right. It's the Woodstock of hardcore. Yeah. The thing was, Rick to Life, the band bears his name, but he would not be appearing. Stickman was instead singing for 25 to Life. Because back in the day, <laughs> Stickman probably would have just beat him up. But he's a little older. He's a little wiser now. So he just stole his fucking band from him. <laughs> after insulting him. That's awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, and I'll say it sounded pretty decent with Stickman singing. I'm not a big fan of his rapping, but I do like his voice when he's singing hardcore. And uh, it was a pretty decent set. Um, Stickman also was in the band Box Cutter, which was a literal rap rock band. Not a fan, but they were an inside joke around here in Daytona because we used to yell uh, the line, better run for your life or get dealt with, which was a line from a Box Cutter song. <laughs> um, Stickman was one of the vocalists along with a guy named Mad Joe Black, who is in Wisdom and Chains now. Now, ah. Wisdom and Chains is a great band, I think. A lot of people might disagree with me. It's not. It's a little thuggy, but it's it's more like punk. It's just kind of a big sing-along anthemic punk band played by dude you know with dudes in it who used to play in thug bands but it's really good and the, the lyrics are actually pretty deep introspective poetic some of them at least but anyway fury of five it's a it's a violent saga and uh it, it's definitely worth your attention i would say check out this time it's personal that's a great hardcore record i believe the back cover is uh um three of the dudes uh just standing there shirtless with their back to the camera covered in tattoos and holding katana swords behind their backs and uh yeah <laughs> yeah the that's the fury explained all right so we can never do that again is that well, fair I mean, when I do Scarhead, you're probably going to hate it just as much. Yeah, I know I am. That's and that's fine. So I appreciate you explaining that band and, and giving me some enlightenment around uh, whatever that bullshit was. <laughs> so, all right. So now that we're old men and we're tired, should oh, we just yeah. wrap this fucking thing up? Let's go. So first... Our patrons, huge shout out to Michael Osborne, 
Samantha Parnham, Laura Crosby, Kate Neal, Amelia Andrews, Matthew Fisher, and our newest patron as of this month, Jessica Crane. Oh, Thank what? you. Yeah, what? Craziness. Thank, thank you so much. You. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It helps us. It, it, it keeps the lights on here at I Don't Want to Hear It. Look at that office we don't have. So it, it pays It pays for the Zoom. So anyway, no, we appreciate you. Um, we thank you for your patronage. Um, I don't have any updates. Book is out. We're working on some stuff around the books. We're working on getting those shipped out. If you ordered a book, they're they're on their way, or you may have received it by the time this comes out. Yep. Um, I am tomorrow, which is five six at this time. I will be hand delivering some books um, with masks on, uh, but I will be delivering books to the locals uh, tomorrow. So be on the lookout for those as well. Books and disease. Books and disease. Yeah. You want virus? Got it. You want books? You can read while you can't breathe. Um, other than that, I don't have anything. Mike, you have anything? Any announcements? I don't. All right. So if you want to talk to us, find us on Instagram at I Don't Want to Hear It Podcast. Find us on Facebook at I Don't Want to Hear It Podcast. Find us on Twitter at IDWHI Podcast. If you want to email us, you can email us at oldpunksvsworld. Or you can visit our website uh, at WND Press and email us there at WNDPress at gmail.com. Um, if you are interested in publishing a book, you can submit a manuscript there too because we are interested in publishing books, uh, doing DIY stuff. So yeah. uh, that's all I got. All right. And if you head over to our website, I don't want to hear a podcast.com, click the link. It came from the beach to hear all of our shit. Um, zine is it's, it's, it's coming and uh, check the notes, uh, check the show description, the show notes uh, to, for any pertinent links of anything we talked about. Spotify, Bandcamp, YouTube, what have you. It'll be down there. Yes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. And we'll be back next week with another one on one or five. So until then, annihilate this week and good night, stick man, wherever you are. And I hope you're doing well. Genuinely, because I, I, I fear you and I love your band. <laughs> we respect you. Dude, you know Rusty from Meantime got him to guess vo- do guest vocals on some project he did? Really? Yeah. I was very jealous. Is, is Rusty okay? <laughs> yeah, he's fine. <laughs> is he alive? Okay. Healy's whack. <laughs> All right.